Wasn't it fun to hear Jeff talk about youth ministry and children's ministry? I stole my wife away from Young Life uh, nearly 50 years ago when we were young in life. But the man who founded Young Life said it is a sin. This is how strongly he put it. A sin to bore a kid with the gospel. Think about that. The most exciting, powerful message in this world presented in such a ridiculously uninteresting way that kids who are really susceptible to the gospel, majority of leaders in ministry today got converted in their adolescence. And the chances of getting converted beyond adolescence really uh, become less and less. So going after kids while they are young and aggressively, interestingly, exuberantly sharing Jesus. That's the name of the game. And it's no less so for adults. We are just more tolerant. We'll put up with more rubbish, more boring, more ordinary, because we're well-mannered. But uh, our preaching staff here at Christchurch really do work hard at not just passing on content, but connecting you to that content. Because unless you connect, it's just more information. And the information that is coming at us now is like an avalanche. You may as well be standing underneath Everest and somebody blows all the snow off at you. The information coming at you, whether it's through your email or through all the electronic connections that you have, or looking at billboards. Now we've got these bright light billboards that are like glaring at you as you drive down the road. Radio, it it never ends. It's immense. My wife and I went to see the young Messiah a couple of nights ago, and it was a half an hour of advertising at least before the movie began. They've got you, they sell you, and it just kept coming at you. I mean, it was worth the price of admission just to get the advertising. (laughs) Well, we're going to speak about the word of God being a sword. That's a fierce instrument of battle. That is not a letter opener. I have at my home, I called up my wife too late. She was already on site, but I have a sword at home. It stands about this tall, and it is the real deal. If I swung that at your head, you'd go home to be with Jesus. (laughs) Right there. Be a mess here, but right there you'd be with Jesus. It's the real deal. Sword was that hand-to-hand combat piece of armament. And it's up close. It's like fixed bayonets. No more bullets left. Of course, the sword preceded bullets. 
But when in the more modern day armies, at least in the last world wars, it was fixed bayonets because there's no, no more ammo. Now that's hand-to-hand, face-to-face combat. That's what the sword was. They had two kinds of sword. Just like they had two kinds of shield in the Roman army, which was the known superior military of Jesus' day and the apostles' day. In fact, I'll just say this in passing. The young Messiah, which is really a made-up story about what a baby growing up as the son of God in a family might go through, discovering as he becomes self-conscious what, who and who he, who he is. But what Jesus saw, almost certainly they portray this, and I'd never ever thought of it. People along the various roads that he traveled, like going to Egypt and coming back and their travels, seeing men hanging on crosses. It was the way of death for the Roman military who wanted to suppress any sense of uprising and they would line roads and streets with crucified men. And Jesus in this movie grows up seeing crucified men. Little boy looking at the ugliness of that. And you get the impression as it dawns on him who he is and why he's come. It's never said. Artistically, it's inferred. That's where I'm headed. And the drama of that. But those soldiers had swords. They had the short sword and the long sword. When you're speaking about the long sword, you're speaking about something that is fierce and aggressive. And the one thing that's really deliberately mentioned here, and Matthew Rivers last week alluded to it as he finished what he was saying and was sort of opening the door to what I'd be saying tonight, that the one piece of military armament described in the helmet, the breastplate, the shield, the feet, the one piece of armament that was aggressive was the sword. Everything else was defensive to protect you. The sword was for aggression, to engage the battle, not just be protected in the battle, but to engage the battle. And what you heard read by Pastor Jared is this, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, something I'd never noticed before, so it's fun getting into these texts which are given you to preach on, that you don't select for yourself and you give your thought to it, suddenly it dawned on me 
what's being said here, exactly what's being said here. That the word of God is a sword by which we attack, but it is the Holy Spirit's sword. It is the sword of the Spirit. That is, the Holy Spirit takes the sword of the word and fights for the kingdom with it in your hands. It's not that you've got a sword with the word. You do. But it's the sword of the Spirit. It's what the Holy Spirit uses to convince people of the truth. To convince them of their need of a saviour. The word is the sword of the spirit. So when we use the word, that is the, the gospel, the, the Bible, not me just saying words, but saying his words, communicating his truth, God's spirit comes slashing into the lives and souls and minds and hearts and consciences of people. Oh, that you would believe that, and I and all other preachers would really believe that. That we have a fierce instrument that's not just for us to wield with human power to pass on a word, but when we speak the word of God, the Spirit of God goes to work. It's his tool. It's his instrument. Well, that's nearly enough to keep going for a while, isn't it? Listen to these words from Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. I am trusting that my Wonderful Molly back in the booth is putting those scriptures up behind me. In fact, they are, because I can see one up on the wall behind her. Great. Thank you, Molly. Look at what this has to say. I'm reading it from my Bible right here. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Listen to this. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's what God's word is. The countless stories I hear, I'm a part of it. A man said to me when I was uh, something of a rebel teenager that Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Those were the words he used. And abundance, I knew what it was, but that wasn't a word in my vocabulary. I didn't go around saying I had an abundantly good time last night. (laughs) I am looking for an abundant life. I didn't do that. But I know what it meant. And when he said that, I knew that whatever he was talking about, I wanted. An abundant life. 
Who gets up in the morning and says, how can I make my life miserable and worthless and empty and useless and pointless and dull and boring? Who gets up and says that? You've got to be really sick to get up and say that. It's like the word of God matches speaking in that word of Jesus because it's Jesus who said it. I have come, speaking of himself, that you might have life and have it more abundantly. One of the great leaders of the 1800s in England, and that was like nearly yesterday when I was younger. I mean, it wasn't that far off. It's like even 1900 something now sounds like a long time ago. When I say I was born in 1936, you can't, who can believe that? 1936, that's like nearly a century ago, right? (laughs) But nearly a century ago, the late 1800s didn't seem that far off. But J.C. Ryle, John Charles Ryle, R-Y-L-E. Boy, I'm taking a long time with this. I've got to move quickly. I just mentioned this. J.C. Ryle became the first bishop, Anglican, of Liverpool. The Beatles have since sung in his cathedral, Liverpool. He wasn't around. He was in heaven. He was long gone. Because even 1964 seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? That's when the Beatles hit America. He was a lad in a very posh private school called Eton. The two poshest schools in England for the children of rich adults, parents, are Eton and Harrow. Those are the elite of the elite. And they go there as little boys and they wear... You can go to Eton today and see these boys walking up and down the street with like absolutely immaculate, not just a tie and a shirt, but starched white collars of the old world. Today. Anyway, he went to Eton and he swore as a lad. And another lad said to him, you ought not to take the name of the Lord in vain. Another lad said that to him. And he said it pierced him. It was the beginning of his conversion. That one word, you ought not to take the name of the Lord in vain. And it pierced him. And before he ever left school, he got serious about the Lord. And as he grew up, all the more serious, and became a minister and then became a bishop. And wrote all kinds of books and theology. Had a dramatically powerful life. And he's one of my heroes. So you get anything by J.C. Ryle. It's phenomenal stuff. My wife and I read it quite often because I've got a book of his teachings, daily teachings. God's word is powerful. And you see here it's described as a sharp and piercing instrument. It's able to divide between soul and spirit joints and marrow. Without even trying to get down to the details of those, it's clear that it cuts through. What I put down here is piercing. It's armor piercing. Whatever your armor is, God's word 
pierces all the way through and into the conscience, into the soul, into the personality of one man or one woman, one person or another. That's what the scriptures have to say. Thank you. I was looking for that. So it's sharp and piercing. Secondly, amazingly, it's God-breathed. 2 Timothy 3.16. Listen to these words. Because it speaks of inspiration. The, uh, the old King James Version uses the word inspiration, but literally the word is God-breathed. Verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed. That is God-inspired. All Scripture, God-breathed and is useful for teaching. The word at the root of that is doctrine. For rebuking, that is telling you where you're wrong. For correcting, how to do it right. And training in righteousness. For what purpose? Very next verse, so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God inspired, God breathed. That's what makes it powerful. It's God inspired. It's his word. Listen to these words of Jesus from John 17 Verse 17, he's praying, he's actually talking to the Father. And he says to the Father, speaking on behalf of his disciples, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. They've got that. The word of God is sanctifying, cleans up our lives, redirects us. God breathed. One of the most powerful things you can actually check out is Article 6 of the 39 Articles, which describes what God's Word is. Can you put that up for me? Look at that. We say we believe, as as a foundation of our belief at Christ Church, the teaching of the 39 Articles, which comes out of the Anglican Church in England from the 1500s. Theology condensed into a series of statements, and concerning the Scripture, Holy Scripture containeth all things necessary to salvation, so that whatsoever is not read therein, nor may be proved thereby, is not to be required by any man that it should be believed as an article of faith. That's one of the statements we say as a foundational statement. That the power of salvation is wrapped up in the words of God's truth. Without this word, you don't know. And the survival of the Bible is a miracle. The history of the survival of the Bible is a miracle. They're actually now spectacular. Hobby Lobby is the major money, is putting up a museum to the word of God in Washington, D.C., down amongst all the major buildings and monuments. It'll be open in 1917, 2017, listen to me, wrong year, wrong set, 2017. And it's going to be dazzling, dazzling. 
And it's not just a monument. There'll be all kinds of electronics and you'll, you'll wet your pants when you go and see this. <laughs> guaranteed, Jeff. You won't be able to stand it. To the word. And it's I've got a whole brochure and everything. I've got it stored up for you to take a look at. Pastor Jared. It's, I was just looking at it. We'll be taking major trips to D.C. in amongst all those buildings to see this amazing, spectacular presentation of the Word of God. The Jewish community is behind it. The Catholic community is behind it. Anybody who's into the Word of God and the Spirit and the history of our truth and how it survived is into it. Spectacular. Right at the heart of the power of this nation this amazing museum to the word of God. So when you read scripture and it tells you that it's God breathed and then you see an article that goes back to the 1500s that's up there on the screen telling you that's what we believe because the word has survived and we're preaching the word. Which brings me to the next significant point, to preach the word. 2 Timothy 4.2. This is one of my favorite verses because I am a preacher. So every time I said about even like now, teaching, though I'm kind of preaching, that to preach the word is our power. If the word is what it says it is, if the word is what Jesus said it is, Why not preach it? How can you, I can't tell you the number of services I've gone to where they quote the Bible and then give a sermon that has nothing to do with what they just quoted. In fact, it's so present in the old classical church of England where they will, I'm about to mimic something that comes out of beyond the fringe. Stage show from the crazy people who put on all that British humour. Who were the crazy people? Yeah, Monty Python. Did somebody say Monty Python? That gang. Listen to this. Chap comes out on the platform, takes off a preacher. And he says, Perchance, I was making my... Exit through the door marked entrance on the railway platform when the porter said to me, Hey Jack, where do you think you're going? And I thought that was a very good question. Where do you think you're going? Esau was a hairy man. I, I am a smooth man. Genesis chapter 4, verse 38. Once I was climbing a mountain. And all day long we went up and up and up. Up and up and up. And suddenly my friend, without warning, vomited. (laughs) Don't you find life rather like that? (laughs) Just when you think you've got to the top, everything gets sick. 
I mean, this is pretty good preaching in comparison to some. I could go on. And he finishes, and now to close this inspiring warning together, remember, Esau was an hairy man, but I, I am a smooth man. That's a real Bible verse, by the way. I don't know if I quoted the right reference, but it's close. Why do that to the word of God? It's absolutely wicked, chronically wicked. What we're talking about here is God's word. (laughs) I need heavier paper than this. Given what I've just said about the word, and we'll have them on sale outside in case you don't have one, is a life-focused New Testament. Because if the word is what we're saying it is, you need to be reading the word. We preach it, you need to be reading it. Daily reading it. My wife and I read it together every day. Virtually without exception. And the life-focused New Testament, at least is the New Testament, subdivided by the days of the year. If you started today and read it each day, the days numbered, like today is March 16th. And because tomorrow is March 17th, I'm dressed in green. And then March 18th, and you come all the way around. When you get to this day next year, you'll have read right through the New Testament. And every day it takes one verse and quotes one Christian leader on that one piece of teaching, along with some other reflections. You get a nugget, a golden nugget of truth every day out of what you've read, apart from what you've read, or as part of what you've read. So you pick that up as you leave this evening if you don't have one. It gives you order. It helps you to read the word. It takes the word seriously. It quotes great Christian leaders from the past on that word. But when we preach the word, it says there's just two times to preach it. Do you see that? Preach the word, be urgent in season and out of season. Just two times. In season is when everything's going well. Congregation loves you. Your wife loves you. The kids are all healthy and obedient. And life is wonderful. And when everything's falling apart, out of season, that means when everything's, your back's to the wall and you don't know where to go. It's like you've got nowhere to go and everything's against you. And the world's world's kind of disintegrating around you. Preach the word, be instant, in season and out season, out of season. Do you see it goes on? This is convince, rebuke, exhort. Convince means go after the mind, persuade, be persuasive. Rebuke means tell people off. Tell them where they're wrong. And exhort means to encourage. Cheer on. Those three things. Convince. Is going after the mind. Rebuke is going after the the will. Stop that. Don't do that. Repent of that. That's a rebuke. And then to encourage is to cheer you on. Going after the emotions. The whole word, the whole time, to the whole 
person, mind, will, emotions, intellect, volition, your will, and your passion, emotionally. God's truth preached. Number four, memorize the word. Memorize the word. Psalm 119, verse 11. This is what it says. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. You have in your hand the beginnings of a memorization course that I had printed up on card for you today. Do you memorize scripture? I.e., hide it in your heart. What's the use of a sword if it's in the next room and the enemy's on you? It's worthless. If the sword is that one aggressive instrument you need, then hide it in your heart, in your mind. Memorize it so you take it with you. So that whatever happens, whoever comes at you, you've got it. What happened when Jesus was tempted? That's how we began our series on Ash Wednesday. Jesus tempted 40 days, 40 nights in the... How did he take on Satan? He quoted the word to him. Well, he had some kind of an unfair advantage since he helped inspire it. (laughs) So he knew, knew where it was and what it meant. But he grew up as a lad learning the word as we try to grow up our children to learn the word and as we need to, that is, to memorize it. One of the most powerful, life-changing periods of time in my adolescence was when a man did something like I've just done for you and gave a list of scriptures like this, particularly that second list about proclaiming Christ, because that's the essence of the gospel, that second list. The first list is a variety of things having to do with our Christian life and addressing the truth of God's word there too. I'm sending you home to memorize. And the secret to memorization is not dissimilar to the secret of having an expensive piece of property. With property, it's location, location, location. With scripture, it's repeat, repeat, repeat. Keep going back to it. That's how I've learned anything, by memory. I do not have a good memory. I grind it in. When I had to learn Greek, I ground it in. I had it on three by five cards. When I went to the laundry, single bachelor guy doing my own laundry, I take my Greek with me. Lego, legais, legai, legomen, legeti, legusi. That's parsing. I say, he says, she says, etc., Lego is the, lego is the Greek word for saying. I say, you say, we say. They say. They shall say. I mean, that, that gets to Lusso. I, I ground it in. 
I can whip it out now. Same with those scriptures. I ground them in. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Say it to yourself, say it to yourself, say it to yourself. Grind it in. Are you serious about God? You want to have God's will in your life? Set yourself to memorize his word. Two or three scriptures are like forever wonderful. Take this one. It's one that you can learn here. First John chapter 5. Learn the references too, by the way. 11 through 13. First John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. This is the record. That God has given to us eternal life. This life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son of God has not life. And these things I've written to you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That is perfectly quoted from one of the translations, the RSV, Revised Standard Version of the Bible. That's loaded. That's not a sword. That's a bazooka. (laughs) Memorize God's word. Some of you are saying, no way, Jose. I'm too old for that. You are not. That's a lie of Satan. It may be harder now than when you were younger. Because when you're younger, you kind of soak things up and you do what you're told. You can do it. And set yourself one at a time. That's all you've got to do, one at a time. If you learn, you could grind in one a month. You'd know one of these verses in a month if you just kept saying it to each other, put it to a ditty. This is the record that God has given it to her life. You know, you can do something. (laughs) Grind it in. Because what I'm telling you is taking the word with you wherever you go and it comes to mind and you can say it. Memorize the word. And that's what you've got in your hand. And since you highly regard me, As one of your pastors, do it. (laughs) You can do it. Next, pray the word. It's interesting that this spills over, this passage, into prayer. A whole section on prayer. In fact... Look at verse 17 with me, if you can fire that up on the screen again, of Ephesians 6. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And verse 18, does that come out anywhere in our lives? There it is. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayer... And requests. With this in mind, be alert always and keep on praying for all the saints. And then 
bless Paul's heart, he goes on to say this. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly as I should. That's what it goes on to say. In other words, what he's teaching, he's now telling them to pray. My wife and I learned ages ago, and my wife loves to do it in a way that is really remarkable, to pray the scriptures. She reads the scriptures and she prays her way along as she's reading. For some strange reason in her old age, She's younger than I am by far. She's now waking up at five in the morning, going downstairs, making a cup of tea and reading the scriptures, and she's praying. There are people praying for me now as I'm preaching to you, and my wife is one of them. But that's what the scriptures are teaching. Pray for the preachers. Paul's saying, pray for me. Pray that I may fearlessly present the gospel as I should. He knows the moral imperative of preaching the word. He's the one who taught it to Timothy, preach the word. Now he's saying, pray for me that I might fearlessly pray for us. Turn scripture into prayer. There's a wonderful prayer about the scripture that goes like this. Almighty God, this is one of the old prayers of the old Book of Common Prayer. Almighty God, who has caused all holy scripture to be written for our learning, grant that I may in such wise read, mark, and inwardly digest it, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, I may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which is given to me in my Savior, Jesus Christ. That's taking the truth of what we have been studying and turning it into prayer. That prayer is based on what we've been looking at. And whatever God says to you, Pray it back to him, because then you know you're in the heartbeat of God. It's his word, inspired by him, and you pray it back to him. Let me finish with this. I've got two quotes here. One comes from the life-focused New Testament that I've been encouraging you to buy and use, not just buy, use. Some of you have it, you need to get it out again and use it. But on the passage about Ephesians chapter 6 and the armor of God, an old English scholar wrote these words. Let me quote them to you. The soldier of faith appears before us made strong for victory, which is impossible except by his relationship to his Lord. He is safe because he is spiritually right with Christ in God-given truth and righteousness. 
because he is sure of Christ beneath his feet as the equipment of the gospel of peace for his own soul. Because he finds the mighty shield of Christ able to defend him against the fiery volley when he follows him, that is Christ, in faith. Because he, Christ, covers his head in the day of battle as his salvation. Because Christ speaks through the word of God and so makes himself his servant's sword to cut the accuser down. That's Satan. Because prayer in the spirit grasps him and holds him fast. Yes, here to the last hour of our conflict and our siege, and here only lies our victory. It is Christ himself, not the armor alone. It is the all-sufficient Lord whom the believer stands safely behind. He's summing it up by saying Christ is all that. He's the helmet of salvation. He's the breastplate of righteousness. He's the belt of truth. He's the feet shod with the gospel. And he inspires the sword of the Spirit and prayer. And since tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day, himself, St. Patrick, wrote these words. Same thought. Listen to these words. Christ be with me. Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right hand, Christ on my left, Christ when I lay down, Christ when I sit up, Christ when I arise. That's been set to music. Is a great old hymn. Christ is the sum total. St. Patrick preaching to a tribal chief who when he made a commitment to Christ, his whole tribe in Ireland made a commitment to Christ, was so demanding, so emphatic, so flat out, all out. By the way, Patrick was Irish. I mean, English. Did you know that? It's always a surprise to people to find out the same. You tell an Irishman that, and you're in a you're in a pub fight then, right there and then. (laughs) But he really was English. I know there's a man over here who thinks he was Welsh. (laughs) As he went to baptize this warrior chieftain, a wild Irishman in the old days, I mean back centuries and centuries, he took his cross that was on a stake like his crow's ear and he drove it into the ground to say this is like church because they didn't have churches and then he'd do the baptism, open air baptism. And he's got the warrior there, the leader of this fierce band of people who's committing his life to Christ. And St. Patrick drives the spike into the ground and without looking, drove it through the foot of the warrior and didn't know it until after he'd done the baptism. And then he realized what he'd done. 
And he said to the warrior, why didn't you say something? And the warrior said, I thought it was a part of the ceremony. (laughs) That's what he thought he was buying into. Blood and guts commitment to Jesus. And if it takes somebody driving a spike through my foot when Jesus was impaled upon the cross for me, so be it. Where are we? I mean, as we finish up this series, is Christ all in all for us? If you say yes, then you need to take to heart all the lessons of this six-week series. But wrap it up this evening. Commit yourself to the word of God. Give your mind to the word of God. Commit it to memory. Let's pray. Well, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you yourself memorized the word spoke the word, paid honor due to the word, not just lip service, but honor. From the cross, you cried out, using the word. Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Even to say, I thirst. quoted the word in your own prayers oh forgive us Lord that we deal so lightly with something so powerful within our grasp grant that daily we may read your word daily commit it to memory and then be doers of the word and not just hearers and learners only but faithful to what it commands Thank you, Lord Jesus.